All right. Well, we'll go ahead and get started. All right. Uh, yeah, that's fine. John usually gets them, but that's fine. Yep. All right. So we do want to open up with a couple announcements and uh, just let you guys know some of the things that are upcoming. Um, obviously, we've been talking through Operation Christmas Child. So uh, if you grabbed a shoebox, um, I already saw a bunch come back tonight. So those are due on Sunday. So if you did not bring it in tonight, please try to remember to have that on Sunday. Um, if something comes up, uh, let us know. Uh, we'll be here this coming week, obviously, doing the Olympians. We'll be doing their shoeboxes next Wednesday. So we're going to wait till Thursday to take them to the distribution center. So we will have a couple extra days, but sooner than, than later is better, all right? So if you can bring that in, that'd be great. Uh, so thank you to those who have taken shoeboxes and brought them back in. Um, really excited to see how the Lord moves in that ministry. I also want to let you know uh, the Word of Life store, we're still collecting for that. Um, and so uh, that's school year round now, so that's going on all school year. So you can give various times through the year. You can also donate financially online, or you can give brand new items, toys uh, that kids pre through sixth grade would like. And you can turn those into the Welcome Center. There's a, a box back there you can turn that into as well. All right, so I want to encourage you with that. So Word of Life Store is really just an opportunity for the kids. They earn Bible bucks by verse memorization through... Um, uh, bringing their Bibles by wearing their shirts and doing Christian services and all those things, uh, they can earn Bible bucks. And then the Bible bucks go towards store. And so every night they'll have time to go shop the store. So uh, that's up and running. So thank you for the donations so far. Um, and we always are looking for more and more of that. All right. Yes, Lynn. Sure. Yeah. No, so no, it doesn't have to be anything like expensive or high end. It can be like smaller toy items. It can be more inexpensive toy items. Um, sometimes what they'll do is if it's something really small, um, like bouncy balls or something like that, they'll just put them in a bin and say like, you know, two for 50 cents or something like that, or two, or two for a dollar or something like that. So they'll, they'll figure out based on what it is, how much they'll charge the kids for it. So no big items, little items and everything in between is all good at the welcome center or in the bulletin rather. Um, and I believe in the bulletin board, um, there is a kind of a flyer that kind of breaks down the different items that could be brought in. And so definitely consult that as well, or talk to Sandra, uh, Phil or Jill Garten, any of the word of life leaders can help you with that as well. All right. So, um, also want to let you know, we do have, we're really excited about this. Um, a couple things. We have church membership starting up this Sunday and then the 19th. So we have two weeks of that, this coming Sunday and the 19th at 4.30. So anyone interested in finding out more about our ministry here and want to know more about what it means to be a member here, you do not have to join by taking the class. It's just informational, but come on out for that 4.30 the next two Sunday afternoons. Also want to let you know about... Um, the snack night, they, the teens have a snack night this coming Sunday night, which is just Sunday night after church. It goes right after service till 9 o'clock, um, $3, and they bring their own drink to that. All right, so that's going on this Sunday evening. And then something really cool that kind of just materialized this last Sunday, um, someone approached me and said that they have a child that's interested in getting baptized. And so we got talking about that, and I said, well, we'll set a date, and we'll see. Uh, as soon as we can do it, that'd be great. So I literally, that was during greet time, service ends. I'm by the door greeting. Someone approaches me and says, hey, um, I'd like to get baptized if we can do that sometime soon. And I was like, absolutely, we can do that. That would be great. And then that evening, um, I made a little bit of a comment about an upcoming baptism Sunday. And right after service Sunday night, I had two other parents me tell me that they have children that are interested in getting baptized. And so kind of just the Lord really kind of just brought it all about, and it was really not planned at all. Um, but saying all that to say that November 26th, uh, during our morning service, we will have a baptism Sunday. And so, again, if you know anyone that would be interested in getting baptized that has not done so after they've come to know Christ the Savior, you can encourage them to come talk to us. We'd love to give them more information on that. Um, and, again, it's kind of exciting to see young people. Uh, the other, one individual is obviously, in, I think, in his 20s, and so that's really cool to see um, someone coming up and wanting to be baptized. So, so that's going on uh, November 26th. Another thing I want to make sure you know about, it's a little ways away. But Saturday, December 2nd is our Christmas decorating day. 
And so we're going to get the church ready for Christmas that Sunday or Saturday. And so 10 to 3 is the time on that. And we usually will have lunch uh, during that. Also, that's the same Saturday as men's prayer breakfast. So we'll have men's prayer breakfast 8 to about 9.15. And then we'll start decorating at 10. So uh, always looking for help on that. Um, men, women, families, kids, we, we try to find something for everyone. Um, I think there's something like 20-something trees we put up during that Saturday. So um, it takes a lot to put them together and then put them up and decorate them and lights and all that fun stuff. So um, come on out to that. Again, that's going to be the first Saturday of December. And then also the student ministry has their mall hunt that day as well, kind of their traditional mall scavenger hunt. They'll do that Saturday as well. So lots of stuff upcoming. So kind of keep your eyes on the bulletin and on the uh, Facebook and the app for the calendar and all that stuff. And a lot of that stuff, it will be on there or is on there already. One more thing I want to make sure you know about. And we don't have the sign-up sheets out there yet, but so excited about this. And it's something we've not done, but it's something that was just presented to us as an opportunity. And so um, the refuge in Lapeer is uh, often looking for churches to house uh, those that are homeless through the cold months. And so we've been wanting to do this for years, and the Lord kind of opened the door of opportunity where um, someone, I kind of have been thinking about doing it for a while, someone approached me with with an opportunity, and so uh, it is actually going to be Christmas week. So December 24th, that's a Sunday, through that week, uh, we have the opportunity to house uh, every night of that week um, the homeless in Lapeer County, and they're going to stay right here, we're going to provide dinner for them and breakfast. And so this Sunday, there will be a sign-up sheet and various opportunities are available. Um, We're not expecting anyone to do everything because that's just not realistic, but there's a need for, uh, we have time slots where people are going to be one man and one woman will be kind of like here supervising, just keeping an eye on things throughout the night. And that's broken up in the shifts. There's driver opportunities where we need people to drive over to Lapeer pick the the group up, bring them here, and then take them back in the morning. Um, There's opportunities for helping with food, helping with donations of things like that. And so this Sunday, we'll have more information for you at the Welcome Center. But just be thinking about that, praying about that. Um, What an opportunity that we have as a church to really impact the community for Christ. And so this is the week. We did not request the week. This was the week that was presented to us as a need. They said, this is the week we need someone to cover. Would you be willing to do that? And I said, I'll put it out to our church. And so if we have enough volunteers to do it, uh, we'll take care of it. If not, uh, there's the possibility of another church in the, in the community may have a few people that are willing to help during that week as well. Um, but we will need quite a bit of help from various people. So again, Sunday, there'll be some sign-up sheets that break everything down. You'll see all the time slots, and we can go from there. All right? So I know that's a lot to just kind of throw out there, but I'll give you more information as we go. Um, again, hopefully we'll get that stuff filled in here pretty soon. All right? So lots of things going on, exciting stuff. We're so pumped about it. I pray that you are too. It's been a great week already. We pray it's going to be a great night tonight. So let's open in prayer and then we'll jump into the word. Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, we thank you for a time that we can just spend together and to worship you, Lord, and to lift you up, to get into your word and to just hear what you have for us. Lord, we pray that you would just open our hearts and minds to the truth that you have for us. I pray that we would be drawn into a deeper understanding of not only who you are and what you've done for us through the cross and through the gospel, but who you call us to be in Christ, that we can come and worship before you, Lord, in spirit and in truth is a gift of the gospel. We do not have that privilege because we've gained it through our performance or our own merits. We come, we can only come before your throne because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of the gospel that we've received by grace through faith. And that through Christ, we have access to the very throne room of God, that we can worship you and lift you up and lay before you the different things that we go through the course of a day, both the good and the struggles. And so, Father, we pray that we would just come before you and lay before you whatever it is that's gone on today, this week. Maybe there's something on our, or heavy on our hearts and our minds that we would lay that before you. And we'd ask you to work in those situations as only you can for your glory, for our blessing, and that your fame would go forth. And so, Father, again, open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. Thank you for the word that we're going to get into tonight for this study through the book of Revelation. I pray that it's been encouraging to those that have been here, and I pray it'll be a blessing to us tonight as we continue to just desire to worship you. Father, we love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so tonight we're continuing in Revelation chapter 5. We started this last week. So if you have a handout from last week, you're all set. You have everything you need. 
If you do not have a handout from last week, we do have handouts for you. And then also we do have pens and clipboards if you need something to write on or write with. So if I could get a couple volunteers, maybe two volunteers that would like to help hand some things out. Two volunteers going once. Michael, Aaron, awesome, thank you. Uh, So we got handouts or the clipboards. I'll take care of the handouts, I guess, the pens. So who needs a clipboard? Aaron's got taken care of. Michael's got pens. And then who needs a handout? Who was not here last week? Okay. That's fine. Uh, let me see if I've got enough. Uh, let me see here. You guys can share. Who else needs a handout? Okay. I might have to just go buzz some more copies. Oh, let me get some more copies made real quick and I'll get with you guys. Kelsey? Can you bust some copies? Do you have keys? I don't. Do you have keys in pocket? That's right here. Are you sure? Well, I don't know whose it was. It was in the parking lot of somebody. Okay, so who still needs one just to get a count? One, two, three, four, five. five. Make like seven. Thank you. All right. Anyone else need a pen or a clipboard? Good. Those of you that don't have handouts yet, you will need a pen and a clipboard. So did you get one? Did you get one? Yeah? Okay. All right. And for anyone that doesn't know, Kelsey is our church secretary. I don't just make random people make copies. Um, anybody that's like, why did he ask that woman to just make copies? What's up with that? Um, so she's more than fine to do that. She appreciates doing that for us. So, um, But while she's doing that, um, we will kind of review just quickly Um, that what we've kind of gone over already. So those that are new with us tonight or haven't been here in a little while, uh, we have been studying through the book of Revelation. And this was something that was suggested by somebody in the group and said, hey, can we make a study through that? So we've gone through quite a bit of uh, content and really just five or four and a half chapters. So um, we've studied about the seven churches. We looked at some different things along with that. We've looked at uh, a couple of films that kind of take us on location with the seven churches. And so I pray that was eye-opening to you that if you were here, uh, we walked through chapter four, which invites us into the throne room of God and the worship before the throne room of God. And so what a blessing that is to see that. And then we move into chapter five. Now, as we continue through this study, we, I, want, I know this might be for some of you a little bit at nauseum, we've gone over this, but um, what is the theme, or, or maybe say it this way, what is the point of the book of Revelation? What is the desired result of those reading this book? What did the Apostle John, and obviously what does the Lord, desire the, the believers reading this book will walk away with? Like, what's the intent behind the book of Revelation? If you've been with us, we've unpacked this a few times. Yeah. So number one, it's an encouragement, okay? And it has to be an encouragement because it's written to the church during a time of great persecution. And so this is meant to encourage them under great persecution. It's meant to remind them that God has a plan, that, there's, that God is working his plan as a purpose in all of this. What's the other kind of theme or points or desired outcome in this, the book of Revelation? knowing that Jesus is returning, absolutely. And the way we summarize that was a little bit different, but basically it involves that. What did we say is true about the book of Revelation compared to the other books of the Bible? Yeah, it's the most Christ-exalting book in the Bible. It's one of the most Christ-centered, Christ-exalting, Christ-worshipful books in the Bible, which is an amazing thing to think about considering most Christians because they're intimidated by it. They're kind of scared of it. There's a lot of weird language in it. So a lot of Christians avoid the book of Revelation. Some Christians even been told, don't read that. Don't study that. Right? Thank you, Kelsey. Who else needed one back here? A couple. Okay. Um, So as we talk about that, it's the most Christ-exalting, the Christ-centered book. What else did we say was one of the themes, one of the main ideas behind the book of Revelation? It's an encouragement. It's the most Christ-exalting And what else is it meant to do for us? Or how else did we describe it? It's very practical, right? That's the other idea. So it's a practical encouragement. It's not just about end times. Now, it is going to deal with that, but it talks more about how we live in the now, right? And so as we study through all of this, 
We don't want, I don't want you to walk away thinking about just the end time stuff. I want you to walk away thinking about how right now the things we're studying, the things that we're reading have an effect on our lives. That right now, reading about uh, Revelation chapter 4 and the throne room of God and the worship of God and all the splendor of God, that should affect us today, right? Like if it doesn't affect you on a daily basis as a follower of Christ, what you read in in Revelation chapter 4, then I would encourage you to read it again. Because if you feel a struggle or a weight or a trial is a little overwhelming, if you look at the news or the media and you feel overwhelmed and you feel discouraged and you feel frustrated and you start to wonder, is there even a point to any of this? Go back and reread Revelation 4 and be reminded, as we said a couple weeks ago, the throne of God is not shaken. Right? It stands firm. And the one who sits on the throne is not shaken. I, we get shook all the time right? Things happen. Tragedies take place. Natural disasters happen. You read about things that that are going on. You hear things on the news, okay? Which plug right here. If you watch a lot of news, that's not going to help, okay? Do yourself a favor. Unplug a little bit from some of that news and media, okay? But as you hear these things, it shakes us. It kind of makes us feel distraught. It makes us feel like it's just kind of chaotic. But as we've been saying all along, this world is not a place of chaos, If it was chaotic, no one's in charge. But because God is in charge and God is sovereign and there is a purpose and a plan that God is unfolding, it's not chaos. Now, it seems that way, but God is working in all of this for his glory and our blessing. So in Revelation 5, we opened up with, as as John is in heaven, he's seeing this heavenly worship. And as he's seeing all this, the scenery kind of starts to change just ever so slightly. And now he notices that there's this book or this scroll in the hand of God on the throne. And he acknowledges that. And then an angel declares, and I'm just summarizing a little bit. uh, We're actually going to be uh, under letter B, number two. So that's where we're going to be in the notes for those of us that weren't with us. Uh, Letter B, number two. I'll give you the, when we're at at the end, I'll give you the fill-ins that you missed, all right? Um, but this right here, this, this scene, God is on the throne. There's a book in his hand. The angel declares, who is worthy? Come and open the scroll. And John realizes as heaven is silent, no one is worthy. No one is moving forward. No one's coming forward. And so whatever this scroll contains is not going to be revealed. And Revelation 5 says that John begins to weep over this. And we talked about this last week. This is not like a, a, a small, like sniffling kind of crying. This is like a weeping, like a, like a wailing. This would actually be similar to what Jesus demonstrated in John eleven thirty five, when it says Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible, but yet one of the most powerful verses in the scripture. Because Jesus didn't just kind of, you know, weep a little. He was like uncontrollably weeping. He was sobbing for the loss of Lazarus, the pain that the, his sisters were going through. Obviously, some suggest the lack of faith that was being demonstrated by those in the crowd. There's all kinds of reasons that Jesus was weeping. And here we see John begins to weep this way as well. And we talked about it last week. Why? It could be because no one is worthy to open the scroll, which it says. And now that means sin is going to go unchecked, that God's holiness is going to continue to be mocked. And this breaks John's heart. And then from this scene, we understand that there's only one who is worthy. And it's in this moment that the Lamb of God appears. So letter B in your notes, the Lamb of God appears. John sees the Lamb of God who is Jesus Christ in the midst of the throne. Now you can jot it down, John one twenty nine. Jesus is called by John the Baptist, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so John sees this image of a lamb who was slain. And some have suggested, and many believe, that that means that Jesus still bears the marks and the scars of the cross. Now, what else is Jesus referred to in Revelation 5 in our reading from last week? Not just the lamb, but who else or what else? Okay, the root of David. And then what's that other one? The lion of Judah. So what do you think of when you think of a lamb? What's the first thing that comes to mind? What kind of words would you describe or that come to mind when you think of a lamb? Okay, cute and fluffy. Passive. Kind of docile, right? What do you think of when you think of a lion? What words come to mind? What's that? The The opposite, okay. Fear, right? Ferocious, fierce, strong, okay. 
So those two images are intended by God through John to give us that imagery of the two comings of Christ. That when Jesus came the first time, he came as the lamb. The one that would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And I love what, I think it was Dave last week was bringing this up. That, that Jesus was meek, but not timid. Right? Meekness is not timidity. It's not weakness. It's not softness. So many people paint Jesus, especially in progressive Christianity today, as this hippie, effeminate type individual. Uh, if you think that was Jesus, you're not reading the same Gospels. If, if you really want to study it out, read the Gospels and highlight all the kind of soft things that Jesus says, kind of the, maybe we'd call them lovey, mushy things, which, by the way, Jesus does say some loving, affectionate things. Highlight those one color. Then go back and highlight all the harsh things that Jesus said a different color. And you're going to come out a lot more on the harsh side than the mushy side. Does that mean that Jesus didn't love us? Of course he loved us. But he loved us enough to tell us the truth in love. And so here we see Jesus is both this lamb, the one that was sacrificed and slain for our sins. He came in meekness, not weakness. Meekness is described as great power under greater constraint. So it's this great power, this great ability, but yet it's under a greater control. And what was the control that controlled, if you will, the ministry, the life of Christ while on earth? Jesus willfully submitted himself to the Father's will. That's what constrained his glory, his, his deity, and as far as he didn't display it as though he could have, right? Philippians 2, he's equal with God. He could have displayed his divinity and completely overwhelmed humanity, but he chose not to. He constrained himself. He's the, the lamb that's come that was slain for the sins of the world. Remember when John and James, remember, interesting that John's involved in this. John and James are traveling through Samaria. Remember the story where, where they don't want to put up Jesus for the night. They don't want to give him a room to sleep in or a place to stay. And what are John and James's solution to this problem? Let's bring down fire, Lord. Let's burn up the entire village, kill everyone, because they were mean to you. And that's a little extreme, okay? But Jesus rebukes them, and yet they quoted an Old Testament example of this with Elijah. Well, wait a minute, if Elijah did this, he called down fire from heaven, and he was right. And Jesus rebukes them with this key understanding. My mission and Elijah's mission are not the same. I came to seek and to save that which would be, that which is lost. I came not to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. That doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't also teach that if you don't believe you're condemned already. But he's making a point. I'm not coming in judgment right now. I'm coming as the lamb. I'm coming to give my life, to lay down my life for my friends, for my creation, that whosoever believeth in me would have everlasting life. Now John's comparing that with the second coming of Christ and the fullness of who Christ is. He's not just a lamb. And we said this last time. Remember, the, the idea of a lamb in Scripture would not bring cute. We, I think Julie said cute and fluffy. In the Greek mind, that would not be what they would think of. Cuteness is not a word they would connect with the lamb. It wouldn't even make sense to them. But what they're thinking of is this idea of this sacrificial lamb. But then there's the lion of Judah, the power and the fierceness. And that matches more with Revelation 1, eyes of fire, all of that. And so when we think of this, the lion, the lamb, and then what was the other one? The root of David. So what is that talking about? Okay, royalty. Exactly. He's in that line of David. He's in the kingly line. He has the authority and the right to exercise that authority. So he is the lamb that was sacrificed, the king who's coming to rule and reign, and he's the lion of Judah. He has the power and the fierceness to exercise judgment. And all of that in Revelation 5 is meant to do one thing, I believe, for us, the readers. It's meant to make us stand in awe of Christ. To realize that's who Jesus is. He is the, uh, think of it this way, he's the faithful witness. He's the, he's the second and faithful Adam, right? The first Adam fell in temptation. Jesus stood in temptation, right? He's the better Moses. Moses went up the mountain, received the word of God. Jesus, after his baptism and his time in the wilderness, he went to the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to preach this message of God's word. And he takes the law of God and gives the spirit of the law. All throughout the ministry of Christ, he exercises how he is the better everything. He's the better prophet, the better priest, the better king, the better everything. 
And so now we sit in awe of his glory. Philippians says this, one day every knee will bow. And this is the imagery that we will see. And so here we understand this language is meant to draw us an an awe, a feeling of awesome power before God. So number two in your notes, we see here that Christ is worthy. I think we left off on that. So Christ is worthy. There's no one worthy but Christ to open this scroll. Now in verse 5, Revelation 5, 5. And again, if you're new with us, the gym's right there. So our kids and our Olympians and our teens all play right there. So um, you'll get used to it. You'll drown it out. If you're a parent, you didn't even know what was going on. You've already drowned out kids' noises for years. You don't even know what's going on. You're like, what? Um, so here, let's look at verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now, that prevailed there. I, I mentioned this last week. If you didn't write it down, write it down now. That word prevailed means to conquer absolutely. It means to conquer completely. So when, when the angel says, no, no, don't weep. There's one who is worthy. He is worthy because he prevailed absolutely. He conquered absolutely. In response, there is heavenly worship and praise given to the Lord. Now we see here as we move forward, look at verse 6 through 8. Can I get a, a volunteer, actually? I'd love to have somebody read that for us. Verses 6 through 8. I know we read it last week, but we'll read it again. Verses 6 through 8, if somebody would read that for us. Okay, Andy, awesome. Thank you, ma'am. So this heavenly worship breaks out. This is kind of like, I always try to think, like, what if you were John? Like, and you're watching this. Like, you would just be overwhelmed. Like, first you were weeping because no one's worthy to open the scroll. And remember, the scroll's vital because in Revelation 1, Jesus, or the Lord tells John, I'm going to show you some things that have to happen hereafter. And so he's expecting to be receiving this revelation. He weeps because now the revelation's not coming because no one's worthy to undo the scroll. Now, Jesus appears, the Lamb of God, and now the angel says, no, he is worthy because he has prevailed absolutely. And he takes the scroll from the hand of the Father. And as he begins to break these seals, heaven just erupts with praise. There's just this time of worship and praise. Uh, There is music and there's an offering of incense that is described as the prayers of the saints. Now, if you weren't with us last week, let me just back up a little bit. It talks about seven horns and seven spirits with, with the eyes. Again, revelation, that's figurative language. It's not literal. Okay, he doesn't literally have seven horns on his head. Okay, horns represent what? We said this last week. What do horns represent in, in scripture, specifically in prophecy type scripture? What's, what? I heard like three people speak at once. So just ready, one, two, three, go. Okay, power, strength. It, seven horns represents perfect authority, right? Seven always refers to that perfect idea, and then horns represent authority, power, strength. The seven spirits connect us back to Revelation 1, referring to the Spirit of God, and some would say the seven ministries of the Spirit. But again, really that just means what? Seven spirits, perfect spirit. And it says he has eyes to see that go throughout the whole world. What is the Holy Spirit doing right now according to the Gospel of John? Jesus said, I'm going to send the Comforter, and he's going to do this. One of his ministries is to convict the world of sin and righteousness. And so he's able to judge Jesus the Son, God the Father, can judge because Holy Spirit has seen and sees everything. The Father sees everything and Jesus sees everything. That means that there's no, nothing hidden from him. Therefore, I can't judge. We said this last week. I can't judge you perfectly because I don't know you 100%. I don't know what you do every day. I don't know what you think. I don't know what you feel. God knows those things. So he and only he can judge completely in righteousness and holiness and perfection. And so that's what those things are referring to. I know we talked about it last week, but just if you weren't with us, I don't want you to be confused on that. Now, moving into that worshipful scene, 
Uh, you see there, it talks about that there's music. We're going to talk about that in a little bit because there's actually going to be a song and a, and a hymn that's kind of recorded for us in Revelation, which is pretty cool. I think we can draw some truths from that. But there's also something in here that has kind of been misconstrued or misapplied. Um, depending on your background, you may have heard some of this. So if you notice there, it says in verse 8, And golden vials full of odors, or incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now just quickly, has anyone heard anything about this verse specifically and what it means? If, you, if you're from a Catholic background, you might have heard this verse. So some believe, the Catholic Church believes, that this passage teaches that saints in heaven are taking our prayers to the Lord. So it validates praying to the dead saints because they would say that Jesus is our mediator, but the saints deliver the message. So this is a passage that I've heard those of the Catholic background, Catholic faith, use this as a proof text to say, well, I pray to the saints because that passage says that they, the saints, take their prayers to God, to the Son, to the Father. So there's nothing wrong with praying to the saints because they're kind of the delivery of the, of the prayers. Now, if you study this in the context of what it's talking about here, I don't believe this is teaching that we need to pray to a saint to have our prayers answered. Uh, the beauty of the new covenant is I can pray directly to the Father through the Son. What happened with the veil when Jesus died on the cross? It was tore from the top to the bottom. It's symbolizing the division between us and God, God's presence, the throne room of God, has been removed. Not because you earned it, not because you performed, and not because you perform now in Christ. It is removed because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, and his sinless life is imputed or credited to you at the moment of salvation. So now when you come to the Father in prayer, you come in the presence of God through the blood of and sacrifice of Christ. And so that's why you have access to the Father. God does not give you access because he likes you. God does not give you access because you're a good person. God does not give you access for any other reason into his throne room, but because of the blood of Christ. If there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's what the Bible says. And so here, I don't believe this is teaching I have to pray to St. Peter or any other saint that the church supposedly has given sainthood to. I don't have to pray to that saint whoever, and, and there's some pretty interesting things out there if you ever looked into this. My mom had a, a, a little pendant thing. She grew up in a Catholic background, and it was Saint so-and-so, and I forget what the guy's name was, but literally it was the patron saint of, like, remembering things. And I was just like, what? I wasn't even a Christian. I'm like, that doesn't seem, I don't know, that seems a little weird to me that you're praying to this saint in heaven. He's, he's going to help you remember? And I remember thinking then, but if he was a human being and he died and he's in heaven, he's not all-knowing like God is, right? Because only God is all-knowing. So how can he know to tell you? And how does he tell you? Because he's not God. Like, I don't understand. But this is the idea. This idea that if we pray to these saints, they'll deliver the prayers to God. So if this passage does not teach that, then what does this passage mean? I believe that this, the prayers of the saints, that phrase, are symbolized as golden bowls of incense held by the 24 elders. So God established incense as a part of the sacro, uh, sacrificial system, and therefore it's symbolism. It's meant to represent Old Testament symbolism. In Exodus 30, when Moses was told to build the altar of incense, we see it represents the prayers of God's people going to God. It's just a symbol. The incense going up to heaven is this idea of praying to God. And so this is not saying these saints receive the prayers and take them to the Father. It's just symbolism of saying your saints, your children on earth are praying to you. And here's that symbolically through this incense. The prayers of the saints in Revelation 5, 8 especially are represented by incense in the context of temple imagery. Should be understood to take the role of incense in the temple, which was to offer up a sweet aroma to God and to symbolize prayer. The prayers of the righteous are pleasing to the Father. We see this in Psalm 141. Psalm 141 describes this aspect of prayer perfectly. It says this, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. So prayers are like incense, and the idea of the evening sacrifice or worshiping you again is symbolized as what? The lifting of my hands. So it's this comparison. It's just kind of a word picture. 
Prayer is linked to the incense in the temple and other passages as well. What was Zechariah doing when Gabriel appeared to him to tell him that he was going to have a son? Remember what Gabriel was doing? He was given the incense, right? He was putting the incense on them. Remember we talked about this with Exodus. If you do that wrong, you lose your life. Remember, you can't mix that incense in certain ways. Do you feel you want to? It has to be a very specific way to mix that incense. It has to do specifically with Exodus. And this is why individuals lost their life, right? Giving a strange fire is giving a wrong incense. And so here, when Zechariah is giving this incense, in that moment, Gabriel appears and says, you're going to have a son. Many people believe that he was praying for a son. So in a sense, God was answering the prayer at the time of the incense. And again, just a connection to that idea. This happened when the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So not only was Zechariah most likely praying, but the people were praying. So again, I don't believe this is teaching that we pray to a saint and they deliver the message to the Father. We go right to Jesus Christ. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that's the God-man, Christ Jesus. I don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to come to me. I don't have to, you don't have to ask me to pray for you in something. Now, we do pray for each other, but we don't do that because if, if I don't pray for you, God doesn't hear you. No, we do that to lift each other up, to intercede for one another, to love one another. But there's no biblical record or evidence of saints, human beings who have gone on to heaven, number one, hearing our prayers, and number two, being able to respond to our prayers. Only God can respond. Only the Father Christ and the Holy Spirit can respond to our prayers because only they are all-powerful, all-knowing, and always present at all times. And so again, I, I don't know if you've heard various teachings on this, but biblically speaking, there's no record of any saint, a human being, receiving a prayer from another human being on planet Earth and interacting or doing anything for that. That's one of the gifts that we have as the church today that we won't experience in heaven. Because, by the way, I don't need to pray in heaven to the Father. I can just go to the Father, right? So, again, just a little bit of background on that, and hopefully that encourages you. If you have any questions on that, definitely ask me after. I'd love to talk to you more about that. All right, next thing we see here is this worship song to the Lamb. So, letter C in your notes, the worship song to the Lamb. So, a little bit of a longer passage, but I'd love to get somebody to help us read that together, verses 9 through 14. So verses 9 through 14, if I have somebody would like to read that for us. Anyone? Julie? Awesome, thank you. All right. Thank you, ma'am. So here, I want to kind of take a step back, look, look at this kind of text and see what we can glean from this, not only of the heavenly worship, but of our worship today of Christ. And so the first thing we have to note is we read of the song that they sang to Christ and the content gives us great insight into how we can lift our voices in praise to the Lord. Now we need to remember what are the 24 elders represent. A lot of representations and things like that in Revelation. We gave you this in the first week. What does the 24 elders represent? Does anyone remember what we talked about with that? So it represents God's people. God's people. So any variation of that also. Um, the 144 represents, again, God's people. Okay, those that are God's people, those in Christ. And so here again, this number represents the people of God, the people of Christ, worshiping him. That's the idea, okay? The, the Christians, those that are in Christ, are worshiping the lamb. 
And again, while not exhaustive or dogmatic, which means this is not the only content we can look at for worship, it does give us some things that we could that were sung to the Lord that I believe can help us in our heart worshiping the Son. So this is the idea. I just want to lay out a few things here and maybe I hope it be an encouragement to you as we worship. So the first thing we see here is humility. So I think you have a little section there, maybe under letter C, under number one or two, there's some note section there. You could jot these things down, unless you have those in your notes exactly. I don't think you do, though. Um, so humility. So only Christ is worthy, and our worship reflects that truth. So our worship as Christians and our worship as a church should never put us in the center. Right? Because if he's worthy, then we're worshiping him. And the minute we put ourselves in the center and it's all about us, our worship is off track. Okay? And I think this happens in a lot of ways. It could happen as simple as the worship song that, that the church is leading us in is not my favorite. I don't like the style. I don't like the arrangement. And I, no, this song's kind of, oh, I don't like this, oh, this song again. And I'm, my heart's wrong. My attitude's wrong. Is Christ in the center of that worship? Absolutely. I'm in the center of it. It's about what pleases me. Right? No, this, I, play the songs I like. That's what I want. And so again, that's a simple example. But also... If the content of the song, the words of the song, put us in the center, it's all about us, our feelings, our wants, our desires, we've lost it. Because it has to put Christ in the center. Which leads to the next point. Heavenly worship and our worship has a gospel message. There's a gospel message in the worship. What's the, where's the gospel message in this song, in Revelation 5? If you look at 9 through 14 again, what's an example of the gospel message in that passage? Yeah, Christ is worthy because of the gospel. What did you say, Andy? Yeah, verse, isn't it verse 9, right? Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou was slain and has redeemed us. Who's the us? The 24 elders, which represents us, the body of Christ, has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. That's literally an exhaustive way of saying every possible human being on planet earth can be saved. That every tribe, every tongue, it's not nation meaning like Italy and France. It's nation meaning like language groups, individual people groups. That's what that word is referring to there. That's a beautiful gospel message. That we only have the access to the presence of God, eternal life, because of the blood. And you know what's funny? I actually heard a very popular church growth guru, which don't get me started on that nonsense, but <laughs> lunacy. But... This guy's talking about things to, to help your church to grow. And one of, the, one of the things he said was something like, Christians need to stop saying weird, strange things. Like, we need to stop talking about all this blood stuff. Why are we always talking about the blood? I literally about fell out of my chair. I was like, so the whole foundation of our salvation should just be removed because it's awkward for people to hear in 2023? How many times does John mention the blood? couple times in verse 9. Slain. What does it mean to be slain? Killed. Your blood was shed. Then he even talks about that. He says, and by thy blood. And so again, I'm not saying that every song is about that, but every song better have a gospel message, which involves talking about the fact that he died for us and rose again. His blood was spilled to bring redemption to mankind before God. And again, it's just this amazing, sad truth in churches today where it's like they just avoid these things because, well, that's weird and it's going to make people uncomfortable. If we're trying to make people comfortable in church by avoiding talking about how they have access to heaven, we're not doing the right thing as a church. Like, that's just scripture. That's just biblical. So again, there's a gospel message in our worship through our worship. And as we're worshiping, we're focused on the gospel. Our worship edifies the gospel. That we have fallen into sin. We desperately need grace. We only have redemption through Christ. Our worship speaks of his blood. While not politically correct, it is a truth we have to speak to. Also, we notice this gospel message speaks to the fact that the gospel is for all nations and peoples. 
What does that tell us? Well, when I read that, I think of this. Our worship styles will vary based on culture. We worship one way here. And if we went to a tribe in South America that we had a chance to learn about with Ethnos 360 in Wyumi, Josh was there, he heard about this too, that if you went to that tribe, one tribe didn't have any music in its culture whatsoever, no musical background whatsoever. And another tribe, they might have music, but it's going to be very different than what we're used to. When I was in Romania, I went to a Romanian church, pretty standard kind of traditional sounding music. I went to a gypsy church, very different. And honestly, a lot of fun. Like it was great worship. I loved it. It was awesome. But even there, we walk in the church, men are on this side, women are over here, separated, husbands and wives, separated, culture. And so when you hear this, that every tribe, tongue, language, people group, that means when you go to these places, they're going to worship in the same content, but maybe with a different cultural influence on the music. And that's okay. Again, the content is what is key. The truth of the message never changes, but worship styles may and do change. Also, we read here in this song, that we are co-heirs with Christ. So as we worship, we recognize our identity has changed. And we praise him for that. We praise him for our new identity, who we now are. We are the redeemed of God. We were lost in sin and brokenness and shame. And now we stand victorious, more than conquerors. Why? Because not we prevailed, he prevailed absolutely. Number two in your notes there as we wrap up. We also see here that the angels join in on the worship. So that's just the church. That's just the body of Christ worshiping. Now the angels join in. And this is such a fantastic image to imagine. Thousands upon thousands of angels praising the Lord. This scene actually dwarfs what we read in Luke 2 when the angels are uh, singing before the shepherds and declaring the coming of Christ. This imagery is so much grander than that, which I couldn't imagine seeing what the shepherds saw in Luke 2, let alone now seeing this. While giving an exact number of angels is not John's point, we have to note that. Some people have tried to figure out, okay, well, what is in the King James 10,000 times 10,000? I think in Julie's translation, it said myriads, and that's closer to the Greek understanding of that word. Some scholars have estimated that based on the Greek words used in this text that refers to the myriads or just the idea of many, it could be translated as 100 million angels. So, so think about that just from 100 million angels. I referenced this a few weeks ago. I had a chance to go to the Michigan game. And the big house is considered one of, if not the largest uh, college football stadium in the country, if not the world. And they fit somewhere around 108 to 110. I think the largest was like 110,000 people in there. And it is intense. Now, they cram you in there like sardines. That's how they fit you in there. But I was thinking about that as we were there, and, and it wasn't quite that many. I think they had like 107,000 in there or something. And they scored a touchdown, and, man, the whole place just erupts, and everybody's cheering, and the band's going. And, and I was looking around, and I was thinking, I'm on the way home. That's just a little over 100,000 people cheering for something going on before them. Can you imagine 100 million angels shouting and singing praises to God? And not in an overhyped emotional craziness, but an intent, conscious decision to worship Christ for who he is. Not putting us in the middle, but him in the center. And when you think about that, it blows me away. And so why are we worshiping now? Why do we sing as a church? Why do we sing as believers? Because we're preparing our hearts and minds for what we're going to do for eternity. We're going to worship him and sing praises before him. And so many people focus on that phrase and they sang a new song and people will use that and say, well, then we should always have new songs and it's in this and this and this. That's not the point. That's not the point of this passage. Now, of course, we can sing new songs to the Lord. There's wonderful songs that are being written today. There's also wonderful songs that are hundreds of years old that have just as much beauty and worship and, 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 and wonder as new songs today. But the point isn't that. The point is it's a new song because they're they're breaking out in praise because the one who is worthy has come to undo the scroll. And in this new moment of this beautiful picture of heavenly worship, they break the seals and they're just excited and praising God. Let's also note that it is the church, the believers that begin the time of worship and the angels join in. The angels didn't start this worship. The church did. 
And again, I love that, that the angels are almost in awe of us worshiping Christ because they don't understand redemption. We are the redeemed. The angels are not redeemed. We are the redeemed. And so we sing of his grace and we sing of his mercy in a way the angels never could. So when we gather as a church, and this Sunday we'll do it again, and when we'll gather if the Lord tarries is coming and we'll sing praises to him. When we do that, the angels are looking in on that in wonder because they don't understand. Because they've never been redeemed. So think about that. You're singing what only you can sing. No one else can sing the song that God has given you. And you might say, well, my testimony is not great. I didn't come out of this. I didn't come out of that. I grew up in church. I've been saved since I can remember. And and I don't have this, you know, crazy testimony of drugs and alcohol. No, but you have a testimony of being lost and now you're found. You were dead and now you're alive. And so it doesn't matter what your background looks like. Your song is, I'm in Christ and I have eternal life because Jesus died for me. And he gave me his grace. And by faith, I will be with him forever. We see again in this chapter the magnitude of praise given to the Son. Again, Revelation is considered the most Christ-exalting book in the Bible. The sacrifice of the Lamb is praised through all eternity. This is exactly what the Father said would happen, as Paul reveals it in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. So I encourage you to jot that down. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I'm sure you've read it. Some of you probably have memorized it. Jot that down. Read that again tonight before you fall asleep and, and let it be an encouragement to you that this is what the father said through Paul would happen and it's going to happen. And we can either fall before him on our knees as our Lord and Savior or we can fall before him on our knees as judge. And he gives us that choice to make. We're going to do this. We're going to go ahead and and dismiss for prayer. So again, thank you for being here tonight. Um, I pray this has been an encouragement to you. So what we do on Wednesday nights is we actually break up into two groups. So uh, if you would like to join us for this time of prayer, you're welcome to. You do not have to, but if you'd like to, you can. So uh, the guys, we go down to the library, which is at this end of the building, down by the Word Life Room. Um, after talking to Kelsey today, we're going to try something a little bit different. Um, apparently, it's been pretty loud in here for the ladies. And so, um, and on cue. Um, so what we're going to do is um, the prayer room that the men were using that, that we were in before. Um, we've gone to the library because sometimes the small groups aren't done yet, um, but apparently they're done. And so um, the ladies will be in that room. So all the ladies that want to partake in the prayer time, you'll go to the prayer room. Guys will still go to the library, all right? I do have prayer guides up here, so uh, I'll put some on a table in the prayer room, and then we'll take some to the library, all right? So let's pray. And then again, if you're not... Uh, looking to to join us for that. That's totally fine. You're welcome to hang out in the lobby out here. And they usually finish up about 8.15. All right, so let's pray and head to prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace, your overwhelming mercy. Father, we don't deserve it. We can never earn it, but you give it to us freely. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And those of us that are saved, we worship you for who you are, not who we want you to be. You told us and you made it clear That it's all about you. It's all about your grace, your provision through the gospel. And so I pray that our worship, both in song and in lifestyle, will reflect that type of praise. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth this week, or the rest of this week into the weekend as we go about our days. And again, thank you for this evening. Pray that you'll be glorified in all that has been and will be said in the rest of tonight. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.